Robert Baker. I'm head of design at Blink. I'm Sudhir Reddy, head of engineering at Esper, as well as the host of this show. There's a device for that. I want to ask you, Byron, a whole bunch of questions about Blink and what you do. And I see that there's an amazing example that uh, I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about. But before we get there, I want to talk about you a little bit. What got you into technology? What made you become a designer? And oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, design is the most important aspect of a product. So it's, uh, it's, I'd love to hear your story. Sounds great. My first introduction to technology was um, back in like 1980, so dating myself just a little bit. And my dad brought home a TRS-80, and uh, we kind of got to explore and experiment with that. Kind of one of the early home computers um, had these like big cartridges that you stuck in for games. But kind of more importantly, like what I remember... Yeah, I think I was probably like five or six at the time. So I was still pretty young and I would sit with my mom and there was this game. I don't remember the name of it, but it was actually a tape deck. So like it had like a cassette tape connected to the computer and you would hit play on the tape deck and it would tell a story. And it was like a choose your own adventure type of game. And the prompts would come up on the computer and you'd have to type your response to move through the game. And I just remember kind of exploring that and playing with that with my mom. And it was just like, oh, this is, what is this? This is kind of fun and fascinating. Shortly thereafter, I think I wrote my first program code, which made it so that my name would scroll over the screen and in infinity until you like hit the space bar and stopped it. But after that, things kind of went dark for a little bit. Like I kind of stepped away from technology. I was really big into sports and life and things like that. And You know, years later, as I was heading into college, I was heading down the path of like business, kind of pretty traditional routes, but stumbled across some art classes and really kind of had a lot of fun. Probably one of the hardest conversations I ever had with my dad, thankfully, this is it, was when I told him I was going to be a fine art student, not a business or engineering major. And I was like, oh no, he's going to freak out. But he didn't. He was super supportive. And I continued down that path. This was in the early mid 90s. I was a photography major. And for my final project, I decided that rather than doing kind of a traditional installation, I was going to create a digital installation. And so I created a website that allowed people to interact with the pictures and the images in kind of this new way and kind of went that route. So more of a like mixed media, um, interactive final project. As I left, my instructor was like, hey, you should keep going with that. There is definitely a world where that's kind of a thing right now. And the web was really hitting the market. This is like 96, 97. And he's like, people are all over this. And uh, I was like, well, that's neat, but I'm, I'm really into photography. So I'm just going to stick here. And then a couple of years later, you learn things like, you know, there's not a ton of money in work and being a photographer, uh, you got to really hustle for it. And uh, right around 2000, there was a lot of work for web designers and the such. And uh, that was kind of my catalyst into this space. That's amazing. And I want to say, no, you're not dating yourself. I remember the days when I had to, my first computer, uh, and I think the regular listener on this has heard, my first computer is you had to insert two five and a half inch floppy disks, one with the operating system and the other with whatever program (laughs) you wanted to run. And uh, that was it. And my first program was a five and a half inch floppy. It had all the, it had all the accoutrements, you know, all these things that you connect to it. 
It's amazing how that whole thing now can fit in the palm of your hand and it's a hundred times more powerful than it was then. Yeah. Uh, that's the power yeah, of devices. I think. What do you think in your long career has been some of the innovation that you've been fascinated with in the technology world and in the device world, if you have any examples of that? For me, some of the biggest shifts are just the maturity of the space. I work with up and rising talent today, you know, and they're they're like, how do I become a UX designer? I'm in these programs, I'm in this program or in that. And you know, some of the things I say is like the job today, your job in 10 years or 20 years may not exist today. You know, and I think we're seeing that in AI, right? Those jobs didn't exist 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the idea of a UX designer or a UX researcher by title didn't exist. And so I think it's really just fascinating how those industries have risen up. I mean, there were jobs in these spaces, people were doing this work, but it wasn't the only thing they did. And so I think just watching that maturity, watching where it goes and and it is, you know, iterating as we go. And I think that's maybe some of the most important things for me as I look at this and as I coach others is is being ready and fluid to to make those evolutions as we go. Yeah, which reminds me, of my daughter is actually looking to go into colleges and she's starting the application processes and things. And I was uh, yeah. trying to guide her, but also I keep thinking I'm guiding her on today's world. I don't know what it'll look like 10, 15 years from now. And it changes every three years, right? Technology changes every yeah. three years. So what device do you use the most today? What's your favorite device to use and why? So back, kind of back to when I was talking about photography, you know, it's still a passion of mine. I thankfully don't have to do it as a profession. I just get to do it for fun now. So I finally picked up a mirrorless Nikon Z6 and I love it. It is so much fun to play with and capture images and video and just, it, it's a ton of fun. And I think it's really cool, like where things have gone. You know, I came up through the film stage, got into digital early and, you know, where it's gone today is just mind-blowing and incredible. Completely agree with you. I'm a photographer myself, a hobbyist, and I came through yeah. the film. I've always been a Canon guy, not an Icon guy. Uh, uh, I was but, Canon. <laughs> I'm still stuck in the SLR world, though. I'm, I still haven't switched to mirrorless yet. I still yeah. like to carry you know, that big old bulky camera. And, and, and they're big old bulky. I've, I've got one of those sitting here, too. Um, but I'm actually... You know, the, the carry around and the lightness and the, the quality is um, significantly better. And it's, yeah, just, it's, yeah. yeah. But like on the, on that same note, like I think it's still a ton of fun. Um, you know, I still go out and shoot film every now and then with my kids and break out some old cannons. You know, like we have a AE1 and, uh, you know, throw some film in it. And it's a, a fun little rainy day adventure. It's, it's yeah. great. It's loads of fun. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Blink. Tell us about what Blink does. What kind of business are you in? Yeah, sure. So Blink, you know, we are... Uh, uh, sorry, I was hoping my dog would stay quiet. We love dogs on the show. <laughs> okay, cool. So Blink is an evidence-driven design firm. So we, we consider ourselves a consultancy and we focus on, you know, really bringing the voice of the user and consolidating, you know, the user, the business, the technology, all of those needs into any given problem or solution at hand. So at the end of the day, you know, we're here to help companies solve their problems and using this kind of customer centric lens or user centric lens to do so. 
I love the user-centric part. I've been in the software industry for such a long time, and the one key thing that I've found is if you design things that users love, they will come flock to your product. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so what are some of the fun projects you've worked on recently with Blink UX? There's a couple that I think are fun to share. We do a lot of work in a couple of different spaces. One is the customer experience side, which are things that, that we would use as, you know, just living our lives. So, you know, we've done like uh, apps for REI is one that's at least local to the Northwest. And these are things that are just out there in the world. And yet at the same time, we do a lot of work in more the employee experience side. So these are things that people use to get work done. Those are not as easy to talk about. Um, often they, they sit behind company firewalls and get more complex, but you know they are equally as important because you know these are on one side we work with these companies that are you know like we want to gain market share or solve problems out in the customer space or you know make people's lives more enjoyable you know when they're when they're not at work. And then on the other side, it's more about like how do you reduce the hurdles of someone's job, you know and make processes better, which in a way is actually almost more important and rewarding. You know, it's like people are spending eight, 10, 12 hours a day doing work and we want that to be enjoyable or at least not unenjoyable, if you know what I mean. But a couple of projects, you know, one that I I think would be fun to talk about is we did some work for Pilot Flying J, which is kind of the gas station truck stops. Uh, When that first came in, I I was kind of like, all right, what are we going to do for Pilot Flying J? What problems are they solving? It was really fascinating to learn more about that space. You know, there there's kind of two sides to it. One is as we're driving cross country, you know, you see a you know, truck stop or a pilot flying J and you want to stop and, you know, fill up and grab some snacks and continue on. And, you know, that's one audience type. And we were working on an app that kind of did some rewards-based work for them. So it was kind of like, how do you get gas rewards? You have your account and um, how you might use that in the moment. And they wanted to have this idea of like, I have this app on my phone and I have to interact with some aspects of it on uh, the gas station screen, you know, all while I'm, I'm filling up the tank. And as we were working through the concepts for that, we started realizing that we really needed to see how this was going to work out in real life. But going around and trying to build a prototype that was on the phone that also interacted with a gas pump while somebody was actually pumping gas didn't seem like it was going to be really easy to do. And so we created a foam core gas pump, which was awesome. It was super cool. It was all black foam core. We cut it out and we used like a garden hose and a sprinkler hose nozzle for the the fill-up. And we invited people in to experience this. So we kind of built this out in one of our labs you know, and had people interact with the app and this thing and, you know, kind of use this made up display for it. And at first it was like, is this really going to work? Like, are people really going to feel like this is real enough? But the the reality is they did because they had to kind of do these things and move this stuff around and interact with all of the apps. And we learned a lot out of it. It was really cool. My my only question in all that is, did your kids help build that model of the gas pump? <laughs> no, no, we're all trained professionals. Uh, we know we we did that all. Um, it was it was pretty cool. But I think you know, kind of on the other side of that same client, you know, we worked with them for quite a while in solving lots of different problems. And the other side is the professional drivers. So these are you know people that drive across country for a living. They're often truck drivers. 
And we learned a lot about that industry and some of the problems that they have. You know, they have limits to road time. They have limits to how many miles they can go. They have limits to how they function day over day and the various rest days. And at the same time, some of the big challenges is actually finding parking spots and finding showers. You know, oftentimes they'll hit their limit and they can't continue on. They can't go even a couple more miles to another truck stop. They have to stop at that given point. And if there's not a parking spot available for them, they just have to park wherever they can, which is not a great experience, especially if you've been in a truck for as long as they have. And so, you know, we worked on a, an app for them that allowed them to kind of know where they were in their schedule, how far they had they could go. And then it identified various places that they could stop and which ones had available parking spots that they could reserve. And then on top of it, being able to reserve shower time, which is also a big hurdle that um, there's only so many showers available and they get filled up. And these are the things that it's like learning so much about this process. But some of the real learnings came from, in this case, actually going out to the Pilot Flying Jays and talking with some of these drivers. And so we went to and identified a handful of locations that aren't too far. And we put a team out into the field and they set up a, a table next to the checkout stand and just asked people to talk to them. And turns out these drivers were more than happy to talk because they don't actually don't talk to too many people when they're on the road. And so when they stop, they're pretty social. We're all social beings. And, you know, they were like, oh, you want to talk about my experience in driving? And like, they loved it. And, you know, like, they would almost take too much time. And, uh, you know, we got so many great stories about how these problems compound, especially day over day. Like if they hit this once on a big trip, it's no big deal. But if it tallies up into like three times, that starts to become a, a bigger problem where they don't have places to stop, safe places to rest, things like that. And it was just a, a wonderful time to get to know and hear some people's stories and then help to solve some of these problems. That sounds like truly evidence-based design for, uh, as you mentioned earlier, looks like a lot of uh, gathering of evidence and then designing the app and things. I understand you also did a bunch of work for a famous coffee company. Yeah, yeah, local Tell us about Seattle that. coffee company. Yeah, we have a long relationship with them. Again, working on kind of both sides of their events, if you will. One is, you know, on their employee side. So we've worked with them on various employee systems and things to help people do their jobs better, you know, everything from corporate employees to store managers, you know, that are tracking order time and what's their efficiency. And then we also have worked with them for several rounds and, and iterations of their rewards program, their mobile order and pay. So they were really early into the idea of being able to order your drink ahead of times and then just go down and pick it up and, and be able to pay for it that way. They came with the concepts in that case, they'd been working on that. And they said, you know, we have these ideas, but we don't know how, or we don't have the capabilities to go evaluate this with our customers. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. And more recently, we've been working with them in their delivery space. So kind of taking that to the next level and moving into delivery. And, you know, are they working with some of the delivery services out there? Should they be instituting their own? What's their brand really mean? You know, how do they bring this forward? as well as we'll say the future of delivery, like what happens when it becomes autonomous and uh, you know, what does that look like? Um, you know, and these are all fascinating problems. They're nowhere near coming to market, but it's, these are the ideas that are out there of like, how might we do this or what could this look like? And these are, you know, kind of fun projects to work on. You get to get to play with some interesting ideas and 
And uh, for the listener out there, Byron's not saying the name of the company, but it is a company you've all heard of. And I'm going to say the name. It's Starbucks. So I'm quite uh, fascinated by that. Uh, and I'm a heavy coffee drinker. Like I'm almost addicted yeah. to this stuff. I can't. Yeah. Do Some of the, when you're, what's interesting, I think about coffee, and I think this is one of the challenges that all of these platforms are running into is the level of customization. If you stand in line and we did this on multiple occasions where you just kind of go sit and listen. It's one of my more favorite ways to do it. Of course, we're not recording or documenting it other than just kind of taking notes, but if you just go sit and listen to people as they order their drinks, they're very passionate about it. They, they have their version. They own that. And it's kind of, you know, many a sketch has been done on that topic, but it's very real. And so how do you bring that to some of these digital experiences? You know, like I want to order this version of my drink. Like I can't even say one because I'd end up making it up. But like I, I have all of these little customizations that I want to add, and, and this is how I make it my own. This is my drink. And I think that's part of what's made Starbucks so popular, right? It's kind of allowed them to be what they are. And yeah, how do we represent that in these digital spaces? The platforms aren't necessarily set up for that level of customization, like to be honest, and yeah. it's kind of a unique case. Yeah. So I'll, I'll segue a little bit too. You said something that reminded me uh, in many lives ago, I would draw, I was running the platform engineering team for a large small business software company. I can't name it, but everyone has heard of the company. You do your taxes with it uh, as well. And one of the things we did, all of the product managers and all of the UX designers, we, we had a program called Follow Me Home where they would just go and sit with a practitioner or sit with someone who's using the software, just sit there and observe mm -hmm. them for a day or a few hours. Again, like you said, not yeah. recording anything, just making notes and things. And the amount of information that comes out of that is just mind boggling. Yeah. With how things are done. It becomes even more important in what I was saying about like the, the jobs and the projects and products that people use to get work done. And so yeah. like, think about like, it's not always as exciting to talk about, but we did this project for a financial institute around the, the software and platform used to process a home loan. Exciting, right? But like it touches so many different people inside the organization from like a loan officer to an underwriter and like everyone in between. And it goes through these steps and gates of, of approval and it has a process to it. And we would go and sit down with every single person that touched a loan. And we kind of walked these loans through this process by just watching people work. Um, we wouldn't even necessarily interview them. We would just ask that maybe they talk out loud if it's appropriate. And we would just experience it and sitting at their desk, watching with them. It's been different over Zoom. But there's something real about just sitting in someone's desk space and watching them do the work. And you learn so much more than what they're saying. You you learn that they're doing these things or they're moving these things or they pick up this paper and do this with it. And those are really important pieces of information as you're designing the systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So being from Esper and being from the devices world, there's one more customer of yours that I'm really keen on talking about. And this project is, yeah. uh, I was looking at it on your website and I was like, man, I need one of those. So tell us a little bit about the work you're doing with Moen and what the product is and how you went about designing it. Yeah, we worked with Moen in an early concept for a digital shower that you could dial things up on the wall, but that was about it. It was a little bit archaic, very, very much a functional system. And they wanted to bring that to this IoT space. So, you know, what does it mean to have a 
app controlled digital shower. What that would look like is having, you know, the idea early on, we started coming up with concepts of like, why or how would someone use this? And so we um, came up with these ideas around different scenarios that, that somebody would use this digital shower for, like, where is this really going to enhance or improve their life? And this was in the range of like, I want to uh, have a preset for a shower. You know, I, I know that when I get done working out, I like to have a, a cooler shower to help me cool down versus, you know, kind of a, a normal warmer shower throughout the course of the day. So being able to just hit a button that says workout shower on my phone, and then the shower would just turn on and come to temperature. And then you would get a little vibration on the phone that it was ready for you. And you could just walk in. And this idea is kind of getting to this like almost spa level experience at home. You can just have this, it's all set for you. It's all ready to go. And then there were some others around music. I want to be able to play these songs. There were ideas around parenting, being able to say, I want to limit my kids' showers, right? You know, like you can only take a 12-minute shower and then this thing's going to turn off. I'll buy the thing Uh, just for that feature. (laughs) Right? There are so many different ideas that got tossed around. And ultimately, we created these little illustrations for them. You know, we didn't put a ton of effort into it. These are just ideas. Let's come up with these ideas. And let's see how people respond to them. And so we did a, uh, this is, you know, kind of classic funny, but we did this like person on the street interviews where we um, had someone and we were videoing and recording these. So we had two people and they were um, just stopping people on the street down in San Francisco and asking them about these shower concepts, which I can just imagine would be hilarious conversations. Excuse me, sir. Can I talk to you about your shower habits? Um, but putting these ideas out and just getting these these random inputs ultimately helped us zero in on a couple of them. And from there, we t- took those into more of a design process where we fleshed out the design. We put them into app prototyping. We put them into, because the, the unit also had a, a wall display. So we had to get those two talking to each other, which is kind of complicated from an engineering standpoint, especially at the prototype level. Like we want this to interact and, uh, you know, took that again. We continued getting customer feedback. We went back to our foam core story. Uh, this time it was a white foam core shower versus the black foam core gas pump. But we, you know, put an iPad mini up on the wall. We had a shower head. We made it look like a walk-in shower. We had a Bluetooth speaker that would project shower sounds. And we had people turn showers on, you know, and they, they did it from the wall unit. They did it from the phone. And even in that situation, I'll talk to kind of their behaviors. Uh, it was a ton of fun to watch because every single time that somebody was standing under that shower head and they would turn the shower on through the the wall display, the sound of the shower would start through the speaker. Every single person jumped. They, every single one jumped like out of the shower with this like reaction of like, oh my God, I'm going to get drenched, you know, as, as soon as they heard that. And I think that's just the reality of it. Like people could really get into the moment, even though it was kind of this made up space and run through the process. It was really some really cool work, honestly. I think it's you uh, by Moen is the product name. It has since gone through a whole nother round of um, product development, but it launched at CES a couple of years ago. Got some really great reviews out of the gate. The shower requires a full teardown, meaning that it's a whole behind the wall system. So it's not something you can unfortunately just kind of plug into a, a given space. And they just weren't quite sure on, on how that was all going to land. You know, that that's a lot of effort. So what's the interest is really going to be? And it ended up getting some really great reviews at CES. And they ended up like doubling, tripling their units sold than, than what they had expected. You know, it was pretty, pretty exciting. That is exciting. I know that when I'm going to remodel my bathroom, 
That is one of the things I'm going to get in there. My yes. entire house is automated except for my shower. So now I have to create a project just to go make that happen at this point. Yeah. 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 We yeah. did a follow on project with them like a year later about bringing voice to it. And I think that's where it starts to get really interesting is this idea that you could just call, Hey, Alexa, turn on my you by my own shower. And uh, it would start up as you're walking through the house, it gets into this like home automation system setup. It's pretty cool. I can imagine as I'm driving up close to the house, the house knows that I'm at home and the shower is on and I can walk straight into it. That's beautiful. Perfect. Beautiful. So uh, we talked a lot about design and how you went about designing these three case studies, if you will. Tell us some of some of the strategies you utilize. You, we talked about interviews and we talked about uh, all of those. But yeah. And we uh, at Esper deal with a lot of our customers and there are many innovators out there that want to build their own devices. They want to customize their devices. And of course, they want it to be a great form factor and a great interaction design to all of that. What would be some of your advice to the listener out there on as they're going about doing that? Yeah, um, you know, test early and often. And it's not even really testing. It's really about interacting with your users and customers and potential users as early and often as you can. And I think, you know, part of what's fun about highlighting some of what we've talked about so far is that these are a bit more on the ad hoc style. Like we also run extremely rigorous and, uh, you know, scientific level studies on, can't name names, but like how is a VR headset, you know, how does it fit? How does it fit different shapes, heads, sizes? How does it recognize different, you know, tones of, of skin color and hands? And these are thousands of hours, millions of, maybe even millions of hours of, of studies that go into this, this level of data. And I think what's important is, you know, there, you want to get that level of data, but you also need any and all data. And so there's kind of like a whole spectrum of being able to go out and understand how they're using it, what they're using it, what their intention is, how they're going to use it. And that goes from ad hoc street level conversations. It goes from like meeting people where they are, kind of back to the pilot flying J, like setting up shop outside a store. And then it also goes into, you know, lab based, you know, really rigorous studies, but there's value at, at every step of the way. Yeah. And and one of the interesting things that that I know I've struggled with as we're designing products and software in the past and things, there's a lot of cool ideas you'll have and a lot of cool functionality that you want to build. And oftentimes there's this struggle between making it innovative and cool versus satisfying the functionality. Do you have a formula for how you balance that out or that our listener can game from? No, it's a tough one, right? It's like, yeah, form over function, right? Is the design or the functionality the more important piece? And I think the challenge there is that they're even, they're equal, they're one and the same. That the the design of of any given platform or, or product, you know, be it visual or interaction, is the impression that somebody's going to get from it and you know creates the function side of it. So I think that they're, you know, tied at the hip, if you will, they're, they're both critical and one without the other is typically not very successful. Yeah. Yeah. My final question for you is around the practice of product management and UX design and things. And oftentimes in a world of sea of innovation that's out there and things, it feels like almost every idea has been thought about and has been worked on and you're trying to create something new and things. How do you spark that innovation? How do you come up with ideas that are out of the box, so to speak, or completely innovative that people go, wow, this is cool. 
We have this amazing activity that we we run on just about every project, especially on the design side where we are moving concepts forward. We do a bunch of work that's just research, but anything where we are working on design of, of any level, we run this um, concept card session. It's really what we call this. And this is a working session where we bring together anyone in the organization that has time or is interested in, in joining in. So we get people from accounting and HR, you know, from our own consulting side, anyone, anyone that wants to join in. Our IT team is always some of the best. And we put these problems out to them. Like we might be early in the project and we, we have some like, how might we statements? How might we deliver a latte autonomously? You know, we put these questions out and, and people just, you know, start sketching ideas. So we have these little cards and they have a a box on top and they have some lines off to the side. And the idea is to sketch anything. It could You can draw it however you want to draw it. Often these are stick figures. You name it, you give it a, a fun creative title and a little bit of info about it. And we, we run a session for about you know two hours on a Thursday afternoon or something. Turn some music on, grab a drink, sit back and get creative. And you know if we get 10 or 15 people across the company to join in this session, and each one of them does, you know, five ideas. We have a lot of ideas. You know, oftentimes these sessions come out with 80 to 100 little drawings. And when you start looking through those and combining them and looking at them through this new set of eyes, because most of them are not a part of the project. All they know is this one thing. So they're bringing with them whatever they're working on at that moment, whatever's happening in their life at that moment, they're bringing their kind of lived experiences to that that moment. And by inputting that in there, we get these kind of unique little nuggets that maybe we wouldn't have come up with otherwise, you know, out of these hundred ideas, we're going to move forward with 10 of them and we're going to refine them and iterate on them. And oftentimes that's where these kind of new unexpected combinations occur that you didn't see coming, that they didn't have a logical progression of like, oh, we're going to do this and therefore we're going to get these three things. Uh, You get a couple that come out of the side. And um, I think that's what I think if you were to talk to anybody at Blink, you know, that they would say, oh, that's probably the one of the funnest parts of any project is being able to join in in these sessions and just step away from whatever you're working on and come up with ideas for the course of two hours and then go back to whatever it is you're working. Oftentimes, both projects benefit from that. You know, the one that we're trying to solve, they get all these ideas. And the one that they're working on, you know, they've just come from this creative session where they they heard all of these ideas and they're like, oh, what a... I might be able to apply some of these over here. And that to me is where you start to get this kind of crossover of, of experience and, and uh, creativity and ideas into these projects. Very cool. Looking forward a little bit from that, what do you think of in terms of technology or innovations and things? What do you see the next year look like? What, what are you excited about any particular technology or any particular product that you want to see come to life? Yeah. Um, I mean, everything's hot on the AI chatbots and, you know, mind journey and, and all of that. And I think I'm typically an early adopter and I've, I can't say that I'm all in, you know, and, and I haven't fully jumped in, but I'm also like openly curious, like what's going to happen? Where is this all going to go? How is it going to be used? I think there's a lot of things to solve around it, you know, especially from an ethics standpoint and um, how will it be used? But I'm not afraid of that stuff. I, I think it's going to be a really fascinating journey to watch and and see how is it going to hit the market? Where is it going to go? What is it going to do? You know, back to what I said earlier, like, you know, some of these things and jobs didn't exist, you know, 10 years ago. And 
You know, if, if I was to just be like, oh no, AI is, it's not going to work or this or that, like, I'm going to be wrong, you know, cause it's going to do something in the future. And I just am really kind of like openly curious about where is it going? What's it going to do? And exploring with that just enough to be a part of that, if you will. Yeah, I, and I share that sentiment completely. I think that as with any technology, there's going to be a hype cycle up front. It's going to be completely hyped and it's going to solve everything from sliced bread to rocket ships and everything. And, and we're going to make, as a humanity, we're going to make a couple of mistakes and then we're going to figure out, but it's here to stay. And it's, I think, a part of our, going to become a part of our lives over time. And being afraid doesn't really resolve anything with it. So. Nope, not at cool. All. Yeah. So this has been a d- amazing discussion. I love it, especially when I f- meet a fellow practitioner, either in UX or product management or product development. And if I'm fascinated by Blink UX and I want to learn more about it, where would I go? And if you're willing, how would somebody reach out to you to get some thoughts yeah, from sure. you? Yeah, definitely. Well, our website is starting point. So BlinkUX.com and you can learn more about us there and you know, feel free to reach out. I'm happy if anybody wants to reach out to me directly. I'm Byron at BlinkUX.com. I don't mind putting that out there. I'm happy to chat about anything or, you know, um, yeah, happy to happy to chat. Well, Byron, Byron Baker, Head of Design and Partner at BlinkUX. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and this has been an amazing way for us to, it's a Friday, so amazing way for me to end the week uh, because now I got my creative juices flowing and i got uh, things to think about over the weekend thank you for spending time with us awesome thank you so much this is there's a device for that and you can get a new episode every tuesday please be sure to subscribe there's a device for that is brought to you by esper the industry's first and leading devops platform for device fleets If you're interested in learning more about how Esper can help you better manage your device fleet, reach out, go to esper.io or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at esperdev at E-S-P-E-R-D-E-V. Thank you for listening. I'll see you on the next episode of There's a Device for That.